0: Well, if you are just joining us today, we have been uh, pursuing a deeper understanding of some of the most famous words of Christ's entire teaching. And we're in episode three of what will be an eight-part study of the famous Beatitudes and a reflection on why they are particularly important to the times in which we're living today. We've been asking ourselves why in a culture of self Uh, sufficiency and image management is living with an attitude of spiritual poverty, actually the blessed life. Amidst a society that is sometimes about avoiding pain and trying to be perpetually happy, why is being somebody who knows how to mourn and how to stand alongside of other people in their struggles and their losses, why is that so favorable in the eyes of God? And if you missed our reflections on those two earlier topics, you can go to our website. I want to encourage you to catch up on those messages and then let us know uh, how they are stirring you. Today, we're going to consider the third of the attitudes that Jesus says that God especially favors. This word blessed means favorable or favored are those who exhibit or are entering into that particular condition. And Jesus says this uh, to us this morning and is the focus for our reflections, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now when we first read that statement, there has got to be some part of a lot of us who think, in what world does meekness seem like a good strategy for inheriting anything? Uh, In in what kind of a universe does that actually seem like a wise idea? I have never personally seen a school playground that became the province of the meek kid. (laughs) Never once did a meek kid rule over the playground. I doubt that the Silicon Valley kids today are going to credit their uh, inheritances to the meekness of their parents. Uh, Being meek seems like a pretty good recipe actually for getting stepped on and climbed over and abused by somebody else stronger on their way up. How many successful athletes or politicians or other celebrities do you know who are actually known for their meekness? Maybe a few golfers. That's why God favors golf, I think. It breeds humility, whether you like it or not. I think it's likely that the people that first heard Jesus uh, talking in this particular uh, instruction also found themselves challenged by what he says here. I can just uh, hear somebody uh, turning to their neighbor, Matthias, can you believe he just said that? He can't have meant that. Because in the society of Jesus' day, much as in our day, the world is, was owned by the bold, the brash, and so often the bullies. Uh, At the time that Jesus gave this teaching, uh, King Herod and his family had dominated uh, the life of Israel, or Judea in particular, for a very long time. They gained a lock on the wealth of the country by applying their power brutally. And as you know, the country was overrun by garrisons of Roman soldiers as well, uh, none of whom were known particularly for their gentleness. Look at how they treated Jesus when they got him in their clutches. And very few of the Jews who heard Jesus speak about this great inheritance coming to those who were meek uh, would understand that or maybe even believe that because none of them actually owned any land whatsoever. At least most of them wouldn't have owned any. Most worked directly for some wealthy property holder or were in some kind of a sharecropping arrangement uh, on the land of some wealthy landowner. And so if they would inherit anything, it would be perhaps a little house, some clothes, a few tools, and probably a bunch of debt to the landowner himself. This was the inheritance that most of them expected. And this basic hopelessness, this resignation to not really having much of an inheritance was one of the reasons why the revolutionary zealot party was gaining uh, influence in Jesus' time with the thought of some kind of a rebellion that might finally wrest the power and the control and the inheritance, as it were, out of the hands of the haves and give it to the have-nots. So people were thinking, the only way I'm going to gain mine is by force. I have got to take what I want. Nobody's going to give me anything. So where does Jesus get off by saying... And the meek will inherit the earth. Part of the problem that we have in understanding Jesus here, I think, has to do with the way we interpret that word uh, meekness itself. Meekness, I think, is so often understood as simply a nicer, more polite form of weakness. It's associated, maybe not out loud, but inside of our minds with a sort of sniveling and surrendering, simpering attitude uh, towards those who are more authoritative or powerful or capable. But in biblical parlance, meekness actually means anything but that. A meek person is often somebody who has got tremendous capacity but is actually restraining it. Uh, In fact, one definition of meekness from a biblical standpoint is power restrained by love. Uh, Meekness is is an attitude that comes from actually appreciating one's place in the universe. One of the most uh, remarkable statements of meekness was given by the uh, king of Israel, David, Uh, famously in Psalm 8, as he looked at the majesty and magnificence of the sky and thought, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And then yet was mindful of the fact that strangely God had created human beings just a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor, with great capacity. He was struck by the amazing place God had put human beings in. The meek person does not have an overinflated estimate of herself. Even if the limelight is on her for 15 minutes of fame, she knows, she never forgets, she is mortal, she is dust. She is no more important or less important than all of the other creatures that God has made. The meek person lives in a constant sense of reliance and dependence upon the grace of God and and she works intentionally and she walks faithfully, but she knows that the final judge of her worth and the ultimate arbiter of her future is God alone. She's going to put in everything she can responsibly to this world, but she knows that in the end she is in the hands of God. The great A.W. Tozer once wrote, the meek person is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of inferiority, Rather, he may be, in his moral life, as bold as a lion, as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows that he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God even more important than the angels in himself nothing in God everything and the meek person holds these two ideas and lives with them in tension sometimes I think that Christian people interpret this particular beatitude as if it were simply a a secret or a smarter strategy for inheriting health wealth and happiness But that is not the attitude that Jesus is really seeking here. Jesus wants us to be focused on the orientation of our hearts fundamentally in life. Leave the rest of the stuff as as fruit outcome, uh, uh, offshoots of the orientation of our hearts. He wants us to truly get our place in the universe before God and to trust God for our future He wants us to get to the point where when we uh, enter into conflict, we are not overwrought by that conflict. When we experience a failure, we're not overcome by that failure. When we deal with a loss, we do not lose all hope in that loss. and, And even in the midst of wild temporal success, we do not lose our heads because we trust God above everything and everyone else for our life and for our future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You will find me, he says, when you seek me with all of your heart. Meekness is a characteristic of many of the people God uses most powerfully in history. I think of the character of Moses as a supreme exemplar By the time God brings Moses back down to Egypt, he has sanded off so much of the pridefulness and the willfulness and the the explosions of temper. Not entirely, but he's made great progress in the character of Moses. And so Moses is able to literally stand up in the face of the greatest superpower of that age, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and call for him to let God's people go without ever having to raise his voice to do that. This is great power and humility fused its its meekness in the flesh. Meekness is what we meet in figures like Abraham Lincoln, like Maya Angelou, like Barbara Bush, like uh, Jordan Spieth. These are people that carry this quality uh, in themselves. Great power, great capacity, lovingly restrained. It's that beautiful blend of humility and confidence that comes from being deeply rooted in Christ and living one's life for the sake of others. And that is a quality of of life, that character quality we call, that fruit of the Spirit we call meekness or gentleness that I want to characterize my life. Don't you, don't you long for a greater capacity for that in your life. The way this happens, the way this grows, the scriptures suggest, is is by getting closer and closer to Jesus, because Jesus is our ultimate model and our teacher in these things. In fact, he says this, and I quote him, "'Take my yoke upon you, the yoke of learning. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls.'" If you lean into this way of living and release your tight grip on control and trust me for your future and for your life and follow my example, you will find a greater rest for your souls. If you want to learn of Jesus, one way of doing this is to to just reread the Gospels in coming days. Don't depend on the pastor to deliver it to you in spoon-sized portions. Go home and grab a ladle and read your way through the Gospels in the days to come and familiarize yourself and take notes with how Jesus moves through the world, how he treats people, how he handles conflict. Or or go home this weekend and, and maybe even this afternoon and pull out 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You don't even need to read the whole chapter if you choose, just Pay attention to verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians because this description of the character of love is actually a detailed primer in what meekness looks like. It's a a description of meekness, of meek love. Uh, Substitute your name in the text for the word love or for the word it in those verses. So it it reads, um, Kathy is patient and kind. Uh, Megan is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Ryan does not insist on his own way. Fred is not irritable or resentful. Uh, Patricia does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Dan bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the way meekness moves through the world. Read through that passage a number of times. Put your name in those places and then pray, Lord God, this is what I seek to be. Fill me with this attitude so that whether I am serving you with a little bit or a lot, whether I'm doing it in public or in secret, in a high place or a very low place, I pray, God, that I will exhibit the love of your son right there. Amen. I once read of a, a very wealthy man who, together with his devoted son, shared a tremendous passion for art collecting. And they would travel the world over looking for rare treasures of art and priceless Uh, works of art adorned their family estate. Uh, It was an extraordinary collection, one of the greatest in the world and as the The boy and his dad would travel the world together and collecting things. The older man grew increasingly amazed by his son. He would beam with pride at his son. He would watch as the boy surveyed uh, the quality of the art, made wise selections, handled with such grace the the transactions and negotiations and the encounters that went along their way. And again and again, the the man felt this increasing sense of confidence that when the time came, he could confidently turn over the estate to the management of this this son of his. As winter approached, however, a great conflict engulfed uh, the nation's life, and the young man enlisted to serve, and after only uh, several short weeks, his father received this catastrophic news that his son had made the ultimate sacrifice in that war. The old man, understandably, fell into profound mourning and even despair. All of the masterpieces and the other accoutrements of his amazing lifestyle only reminded him that he did not have his son to share it with, that his son was not ever coming home. So months and months Passed by, and the distraught man was awoken one morning by a summons to the door. And he went to the door and uh, opened the door, and was greeted by the sight of a soldier standing there—a young man in, in in uniform standing there, holding a package in his hands. And the soldier introduced himself to the man by saying, "I owe my life to your son." He was the medic. I was wounded. He was carrying me to safety when he was hid. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you." The soldier was bidden to come in and the two sat down in the drawing room and the soldier went on to explain that he was an artist actually and he wanted to give the father a gift and the old man took the package from the man's hands and unwrapped it and as the paper gave way it revealed a portrait of the man's son. The world would never consider this particular work of art one of genius, but the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. It was a good resemblance. And overcome with emotion, the older man just thanked the soldier. He promised that he would hang the picture above the fireplace. And during the weeks and the days that followed, the man realized that even though his son was no longer physically with him, the boy's life was living on in a sense because of those he had touched with such grace and kindness and help and hope in their time of need. He began to hear more stories filtering in, letters that arrived, speaking of how his son had acted to rescue dozens of wounded soldiers before that bullet stilled his own heart. And as the stories of his son's humble courage came in, the older gentleman swelled with fatherly pride and this satisfaction began to ease his wounded and mourning heart. The following spring, however, the old man became ill, and he soon passed away. As news of his passing began to filter out through the art world, as everyone became aware that his only son was dead, the art world buzzed in anticipation at the news that the massive collection That he had accumulated was going to be sold at auction and the day finally arrived and the collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings dreams would be fulfilled that day greatness would be achieved as somebody would be able to claim i now have the greatest collection of all the auction began with a painting that was not on a single museum or collector's list. It was the portrait of the wealthy man's son, who will open the bidding with $100 for this piece, the auctioneer said. But the room was awkwardly silent. Painful moments passed, actually, till someone at the back of the room shouted out, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Move on, move on to the masterworks. And a chorus of other voices shouted in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, said the auctioneer. Finally, an older gentleman in the midst of the crowd spoke up. He had worked as a caretaker on the property, and he said, Will you take $10 for the painting? It's, It's all I have, but I knew the boy, and I loved him, and I'd like to have it. The auctioneer said, I have $10, who will go higher? Going once, going twice, sold, sold to the man in the dungarees. Cheers filled the room. Someone exclaimed, now we can get on bidding on the real treasures, but the auctioneer calmly announced that the sale was over. What do you mean it's over, shouted one of the crowd. What about all of these paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. There are, this demands an explanation. What's going on? And the auctioneer calmly replied, it's simple really. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son inherits it all. According to the will of the father. Whoever takes the son inherits it all. That inheritance can be yours. It can be mine. Complete forgiveness of our sins. The power of the Holy Spirit to reform our character... A wonderful purpose for living that no one can ever take away. A power for renewed relationships. Absolute assurance of victory over death. Eternal life to come. These are treasures you can absolutely count on as you take Jesus into your heart. As you resolve to walk with him. But it's even more than that. The news is even better than that. This beatitude, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, many of the other teachings of Jesus suggest that one of the blessings that God longs to give is the chance to be involved in the work of the Father. It's the chance to not just be... uh, a trust baby in a sense, but to be someone who plays a part in the amazing work of the Father's estate, to have a responsible role and an influence in the very kingdom of the Heavenly Father. But the clear teaching of the scriptures is that he will not entrust those really significant positions of influence merely to the brash and the callous and the arrogant. By the grace of God alone, ultimate earthly authority, final authority on the new earth will be given only to the meek. Only to those who have become practiced in using power in the way that Jesus himself models. So let's keep practicing, shall we? Let's study the example of Jesus and not simply admire it, but imitate it. Let's keep walking in the way of Jesus, taking him in, not to earn our salvation, but to use our salvation wisely. Because whoever takes in the Son inherits it all. Please pray with me. Lord God, draw us to yourself, fill us with your character. Imbue us with the mighty meekness we see most perfectly in the face and life and cross of Jesus. Then send us forth, Lord, into our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods to live with the attitudes of the kingdom of heaven and to be a witness to you who are the light of this world. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.